Ah, ice cream. Whether you eat it somewhere hot by the sea, or as a respite from turning around a city that's a bit too warm, or even in the middle of winter in a cold flat, I love it. But all that being said, I'm not the biggest fan of ice cream in the room right now. Kitty is. I'm Will Stewart, and you're listening to A Cook's Library. Kitty has her own ice cream business, La Grotta Ices. It's small production and not particularly easy to find. Only a few shops in London stock it, but it's worth it. Her book and flavours can transport you all over the world, very much like her favourite cookbook, Cuisine of the Sun by Roger Vergeau. We used to do a weekly shop in Sainsbury's and eat cheese and tomato toasties, and my mum was quite a good cook, but nothing. You know, I didn't. I don't think I went to a restaurant till I was about 11 or 12 years old. So it's fish and chips and very basic, nice stuff. Was it in London? It was on the outskirts. I grew up in Twickenham, actually, in the suburbs. Yeah, it was quite a, a suburban upbringing. But I do remember, I think it was like a kind of Greek shop started selling Haagen-Dazs. Right. <laughs> you remember where there was just no ice cream and that was... Mm a massive thing and then Ben and Jerry's was just completely you know just so exciting and so beyond our um what we could afford because I'm I'm sure I remember it being about five or a tub which seems mental in the when would it have been like the late 80s when it came out but yeah I definitely remember looking in the window of the freezer at the at the Haagen-Dazs flavors so was that the first ice cream taste that sort of oh I used to get well we used to get my mum used to get the long um kind of cardboard boxes of vanilla ice cream that you'd cut into a a kind of rectangle and then put between two really <laughs> really horrible wafers right. you know like could sort of make your own um, yeah. ice cream sandwich yeah uh-huh. and that was great we loved them and uh if we were really lucky we got the uh, neapolitan ice cream i still don't know really why it's called neapolitan you know the strawberry chocolate and vanilla yeah, I love the color combo, but I don't. Yeah. I, I, agree, I don't know why it's called that. I do. I do quite love the flavor combo too. Strawberry and chocolate. It's sort of fallen out of fashion. Um, so there was that, and I. But really, like you know, my mum um had a very good friend in Wales, and we used to go and stay with her, an amazing woman who, kind of lived, on a in a beautiful house in the middle of nowhere, and used to cook on a fire and we'd camp in her garden and fry mushrooms, horse mushrooms that we picked in the field and stuff like that. And I, I do remember kind of said that was the first time of sort of experiencing those sensations of smell and realizing how delicious it was. And mint tea picked with big furry leaves of apple mint from her garden and having that with bacon and fried mushrooms for breakfast and stuff like that. That delicious. was delicious. Yeah, really. <laughs> I still remember that, but it's not very ice creamy. And then um, after that, I mean, it was just travel, really. Mm. The first time I went to Italy, I worked as an au pair girl when I was 15. And I was really, really miserable, had this awful time, completely hopeless, hopeless au pair girl, hopeless, <laughs> a big social or anything, but really good at eating. And they just had, they, they were quite a smart family, but the grandfather and grandmother grew all their own veg and they had an oven built under their house in a kind of garage where they made pizza and stuff. And it was 
yeah, really special. And that's somewhere where you, where, because I was, I was looking at your book in the intro, that first ice cream that you had, which was in that shop in Italy, was that in a later trip? Um, or not the first ice cream you had, sorry, but the first one that you thought was really delicious and they changed the flavours constantly. Oh, that was in Cannes. That, right, that was, sorry, in France. Yeah, that sorry. was quite a lot later. That was another trip where I was quite quite young and quite miserable and didn't really know what I was doing. But once again, kind of found my way to some delicious food. And that was a beautiful old ice cream shop in Cannes that was called Vilfa. And I was a waitress in a Hilton hotel on the beachfront. And when I had an afternoon shift, I'd always go to this ice cream shop in the morning and get an ice cream sundae every morning. (laughs) And there was two ladies that worked there and they just make these like beautifully presented ice cream sundaes in these amazing sort of fake Lalique glass bowls with little scoops of melon balls and a little chocolate on the side and it was just Mm. amazing and the flavors changed every day and I'd never tried anything like that before it was I've got a wonderful Mm. I've got a picture uh I was in Cassis once there was an ice cream shop right on the waterfront and they had they had put their sort of different descriptions and there were pictures so there was like a cup with one scoop of ice cream and there was one called like the l'american which had four scoops whipped cream on the top and i thought it was so funny <laughs> and i've got that picture somewhere and i remember it being really good ice cream I mean, it always is i think if you're on the waterfront in france no it is it's really good ice cream in france though they just do a different uh, like they have their own way of making it which funnily enough is sort of closest to what i make now in my in my ice cream making business it's a custard base it's called a creme glacé in france and it's a custard base with fruit although i still think in france they still pour because in italy you don't get creamy ice creams that are fruit flavored and i think in france you do which is might not seem like much but it's quite an important distinction and my creamy fruit ice creams are my favorite anyway but I didn't think that that's what I wanted to do at all. I thought I had like much higher, <laughs> more glamorous aspirations. I thought I'd, and also I was really scared of cooking in restaurants. It's really intimidating. So I didn't, didn't really occur to me to actually plan to go into food. Yeah. The culture's changed a lot, hasn't it? And I imagine that sort of peak Marco Pierre White sort of era. Oh my God. Absolutely. And funnily enough, when I went to Cannes, um, I, I've been working for Poilin Bakery in London um, as a shop assistant, which was the year that they opened on Elizabeth Street, and that was fantastic because I learned to speak French working there because I was the only English sales assistant they had. Everyone else in the bakery was French. And I got, um, after a couple of years, I bought, um, I decided I wanted to go to the south of France because I was young and you could. <laughs> you could just go and work in France if you wanted to. And um they had that airline go airlines that still existed and I bought a ticket for like 18 or 19 quid to Nice. Jesus, that's nice. And then went to Cannes, which I had the idea that I might like because I'd seen like Billy Piper on Good Morning Britain singing on the beach at the Cannes <laughs> Film Festival. <laughs> yeah. And um, I just thought that looks nice. And yeah, it was mad. I, I'm, But I'm so glad I did it. I went to Cannes, I went to the tourist information office and said, I don't know, I haven't got anywhere to stay. And they had a kind of list of 
accommodation from old old retired people who lived around there it's kind of you know it's before airbnb and the internet really mm. um and they put me in touch with this lady who lived in a residence which are the big blocks of flats kind of around and i went and i rented a bedroom from her for not very much money and went and lived there and then kind of stomped around Cannes looking for work and one of the restaurants there was was it a Marco Pierre White restaurant did he have a restaurant there I don't know probably probably yeah or something similar I have to get back to you with um who it was it was something similar like that and then the Hilton Hotel it was really (laughs) it was really horrendous just beautiful places but um yeah I had a funny old time there well we'll get I mean we'll get to what was the Mujin? Well, that's where he was from. But Roger well, Roger, his restaurant was there, wasn't it? Yes. Um, I suppose, like, I, I've never actually eaten there, but while I was working at Poilin, Lionel Poilin, the owner of the Poilin Bakery, was a bit disappointed that I was leaving, but he gave me a letter for his friend, who is the chef, Roger Verger, saying, look after Kitty, which I suppose might have meant that I could have, gone on to work at the Moulin des Moujins but I was too embarrassed and shy to give him the letter so I just kind of I I got the bus up there and then walked back down again and got a job at the Hilton Hotel instead as a waitress and I do wonder like if my career if my ice cream business might have come about a bit more quickly if I'd actually done what I was supposed to do but but then would you have eaten at the ice cream shop in Cannes there you go maybe not maybe not but um, yeah, I, I, I never got to eat the food, but I did. I actually got his book when I was, um, I got given Roger Verge's book when I was a kind of different way, but I knew his cooking from the book. Yeah, I didn't know who he was, and that's probably a bit blasphemous, but, um, and looking at it now and reading, I mean, he died not too long ago, right? And I was reading a few articles in obituaries and they were, just talking about him, Bocuse and Twogarbros and how important they all were in sort of selling this nouvelle cuisine to the world. And especially this sort of like, you know, the idea of cuisine of the sun or like happy cooking, as he said. Yeah. It all seems very important. Do you remember the first stuff that you read, the first recipes? Or did you remember cook, cooking from it at first and what sort of sold you? Was it well, just I don't thing? think I don't think I have cooked from it much because if you read the beginning of the book, it talks about finding green beans the size of fork prongs hmm. with the flowers still attached and white onions the size of like kind of 50p pieces, just these amazing, beautiful French spring vegetables hmm. still kind of glistening with dew from being picked that morning. And you can't get them in Sainsbury's <laughs> in 1988 or whatever it was. So, you know, I, I kind of felt like it was never going to be the same trying to replicate these recipes, but it was the idea. And the idea of kind of eating this food just saturated with sunshine. He writes something really nice in the beginning of the book, actually. I'll see if I can try and find it. Where does he say? I've collected good traditional recipes from France and elsewhere and have tried to give them my own personal touch, my love of the sun, of happiness and of nature, which was quite sweet. And I really feel that about his cooking. It's generous and unpretentious and it comes from just love of these ingredients. So I think Mm. that's the thing. And in the beginning, I liked how it said it's not, it it wasn't too tech because I have the, I mean, I'm 
maybe you have the same copy, the one that the paper Caroline, Mac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Caroline Conran sort of edited. Yeah, they're a and, fab um, the series of books. Actually, the ones that Caroline Conran, I think she um, translated lots of the French Nouvelle Cuisine books. Yeah. For paper Mac, and they're just like a lovely size and. They're really simply presented and beautifully written, and you get like just those few photos at odd points during the. Oh, book. I love the photos! I love the photos. Zuni Cafe does a similar thing in their book, um, like super, super. I mean, not overstyled. I mean, overstyled, but not in a bad way. Um, I suppose you could call covering a whole tabletop with sweet peas and bits of ham and rose leaves <laughs> a bit gratuitous. <laughs> I just love reading cookbooks as lots of people do and the, the ideas that sort of come across it's just let's see the my favorite recipes eel flotant with a peach leaf sauce a peach leaf custard which must be quite yeah, delicious. delicious and I mean that's essentially an ice cream isn't it presented mm. a different way it's a meringue fl- really light beaten egg white floating in a thin peach leaf custard it's just kind of like elegant and when I read the recipes in the book I can imagine eating them and I can imagine how I'd feel after I ate them and it would just be complete satisfaction and happiness (laughs) I mean after lock after spending a very long time in London in a small flat in lockdown it's pretty nice to imagine to eat your flotton in the south of France I know thank god for cookbooks yeah exactly and it's funny because now, I mean, I, I mean, from what I saw of the restaurant just going up there and I did a really short um, cooking course there that I think was kind of designed for housewives from around Nice to go and spend their afternoons learning how to make apricot charlotte and it wasn't particularly hardcore, but, you know, it's that, that kind of restaurant, really plush and overdone mm. up so it sort of didn't match the food to me and I mean that's the, that's the kind of thing that would have changed so much now that you can present stuff like that in a much with much lighter touch than a really expensive sort of overstuffed restaurant but definitely the recipes themselves seem really modern still and I think it was mm. written in 75 this book yeah that's mad to think about that it's so, um, and it's got similarities with the way I cooked when I was a pastry chef at St. John as well. It's just um, about presenting the ingredients to show them off and not to show off the chef's skills, really. Mm, so I want, I want to get to St. John. I want to talk yeah. about that. But you were in New York, weren't you, very briefly? And um, no, I for about a year front. and a half in the end. Right, okay. Yeah, I had a lovely time there. I got some money when my grandma died and I spent it all on going to culinary school and I did this amazing cooking course called a, a like a, a professional cooking course and then I worked I got a job afterwards um it was this pizza and ice cream restaurant really really great and Meredith who was my head chef Meredith Kurtzman and I was just just can't believe how what a lucky little lucky little pig in shit I was really <laughs> um Meredith was just making these amazing ice cream sundaes and I got to help her do that and it was thrill yeah 
was it in the or like Sunday bowls, sort of like the glass stand? They got they got the proper Italian like inox stainless steel little right. ice cream cups with the stem, looking like a little sh- old fashioned champagne glass. Yeah, and she would just make these amazing puddings. I remember because she got I had this cutting. Um, there was a article in the New York Times about the best ice cream in New York, and so I went trotted around to all these different places trying all the different ice cream. I guess because of having worked at Cannes before and loving this ice cream shop, I'd got a beer in my bonnet about ice cream and I wanted to know how how to make it. Mm. And there were loads of places at the time in New York. There were like Mexican places. There were South American places on Bleecker Street making crazy different flavors. And it was so inventive and it was just so much fun. And then there were like the really old school American places like Emac and Bolio making all of their banana fudge sundaes it was brilliant and then there was Meredith Mm. at Otto and she was making olive oil gelato with chopped up strawberries macerated on top and sea salt sprinkled over the top and I mean like it's just so different to nowadays I mean I was coming from London where it was still absolutely um, tutti frutti ice cream and pistachio ice cream that had definitely not seen a pistachio and was made of like kind of almond and melon flavorings and was bright green. There was just nothing like that. It was just gorgeous and made of, you know, every week. Uh, I think it was like on Tuesdays and Thursdays, whenever the green, or maybe like twice a week when the Union Square Green Market was on, I used to go like it, I was, it's just like this amazing privilege just off I went with my little chef's whites to go and pick up all of the ingredients that they were using and Mm. turn them into ice creams and I was there sort of from September to Christmas I think and um so it was all fresh wet walnuts and maple syrup um from upstate New York and pumpkins and Concord grapes which are like uber fragler yeah it was heaven I would just I just wish I was still doing it (laughs) there I don't know I don't know how can it be interpreted now but yeah I just felt really proud to be part of this amazing city and have a job there and you know have little tiny part in the running of it it was really exciting I have to ask about Prune as well I'm a huge fan of Gabrielle Hamilton well so when I finished my kind of stage at Otto I can't remember how did I end up at Prune I actually was living around the corner from there in the East Village and um must have been Meredith told me about her and so I went in and asked to do a stage and I just remember that she Gabrielle was I mean I was only this is 20 20 years ago at least must have been but I even in my naive state I knew how cool she was I could tell how cool she was Mm. and um I just remember her being quite pleased that I didn't have air conditioning in my apartment and saying very firmly good (laughs) when I told her how much I was suffering and then she um I think I just like sort of saved myself because she asked me if there were any foods I didn't eat and looked at me very carefully I know I eat everything I don't enjoy everything, but I'll eat anything. And she, she was like, okay, then. And so she let me work in the restaurant for a little bit. And um, it was her really that um, in the end, she said, what are you doing in New York? 
there's this amazing restaurant in London, you should be there, it's called St. John. <laughs> and um, that's how I knew about Fergus. Mm. So how long had St. John been open at that point? Um, I think, well, this is 2003. It must be 25 years that it's been open, maybe 26 this year. Um, so a couple of years and bread and wine had only just opened um, their restaurant in a smaller restaurant in Spitalfields. Yeah. So um, I came back to London and just the atmosphere of walking into bread and wine, they were just sitting down for staff food and it had that really nice sound of a restaurant mm. of there's like just this sound of that. Now I can, it, now it's sort of my biggest signifier of whether a place is good to eat. It's this contented hum of people eating and this nice like tinkle of cutlery. And no music. It's so nice. And no music. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just this lovely feeling and atmosphere it creates. And St. John was like that. And um, Justin was there on the pastry side. And yeah, I just did that. You know, the, the best way you can get a job in a restaurant, I think, you just walk in and just ask if there's any jobs going. And there's always something going, isn't there? There's always something. And he offered me a stage, like, I think the following week and I said no 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 I can't do that I really need to do it now because I was nervous about the, the other ice cream job and he was like okay then come in tomorrow and um I went in and I kind of made my caramel in the very fancy way that I'd learned at culinary school and they all looked at me a bit curiously <laughs> you know when you're kind of like wiping down the side of a pan with a pastry brush dipped in water and yeah trying very carefully not to make any mistakes but anyway I got the job and so then I was um pastry chef under Justin mm. for about four and a half years I think so at and bread and wine or at both at bread and wine and occasionally right. it's the main St John but at bread and wine yeah and so then I had you know I wasn't going to the market every week but I was getting trays of you know they're very strict about what ingredients you could use they had to be British and um, we didn't have a big budget to work with a bread and wine it wasn't it was the kind of quite a little sister restaurant to St mm. John that, um, was so Fergus I think, still in the kitchen I no it was Carl Goward was my head chef right. who um, is a great cook and Tom Pemberton who's now got um, Hereford Road Right. Yeah, it was fab. No, sh no shouting. You know, you could make delicious food. The restaurant had lovely atmosphere. No one was being slapped in the face <laughs> and screamed at. And we were working with real ingredients. And it was, yeah, just showed it was possible. You then go to Rochelle, don't you, and work there for quite a while? Um, You know, because I didn't, I, I'm not a good, I mean, I, I made the, hot chocolate puddings and the steamed puds and um, the crumbles and the custards and I got to make some ice creams but I really was in it to get a bit of practice making ice cream mm. and every holiday I had at bread and wine I would just go back to France or Italy and go to restaurants there and like I did a whole tour of Italy at one point I think I took a month off or you saved up all my holidays one mm. year and just went with my brother like from the top to toe of Italy to all the ice cream places I'd ever kind of read about amazing to try and find out more about them yeah it was 
Have you got the list still? Um, I could remember it, but again, it was kind of like before social media, so it was harder to find out about these places. It was a lot of the places from Jeffrey Steingarten's book, The Man Who Ate Everything, and there's a chapter called The Mother of All Ice Cream, and I love that book, so I wrote down all the names of the places there and followed him. I've got that book somewhere. I need to look for it's it. It's just the best way to travel. I mean, I still would, given half a chance. It's just it's just the best thing you could possibly do is go to as many ice cream shops as possible. You walk, you see a city, you learn about kind of cultural habits and cooking which reflect on the sort of like what they're growing and their history and it's great. So interesting. And you eat the ice cream. And you get to eat the ice cream and then you walk to the next ice cream. So how long were you at Rochelle for? Um, probably a year and a, a a year and a bit, a year maybe. Right. And then um, I had a little. I bought my little ice cream, my Piaggio, a little Piaggio Ape, a fifty cc, and I put a box in the back of it. Um, that's actually sort of designed for transporting bits of you know, like it's some weird, I think they're called tectainers or something, some huge thermal cold box that worked with big cold plates and just kept anything frozen for 12 hours. Really amazing, really thick. It's it's not meant for catering at all. It's meant for hospitals for kind of transplant, for like moving body parts around, I think. <laughs> but I just like, there wasn't anywhere to go and get this stuff fitted out then. It was just sort of like fiddling, trying to figure out what worked. And um yeah, I started making ice cream and started selling it in farmers markets in London, and that's how I began. Um, and driving around in my little lappe, which I've still got from two thousand and seven, and I still haven't got over people laughing at me. <laughs> You've got to have quite thick skin as you drive along, because you just look like you're driving a matchbox. Yeah, doesn't seem real. I imagine it's quite or loud inside as well. Flintstones car. It's quite stressful. Mm. Broke down quite a lot of times. <laughs> thanks for listening definitely hunt down kitty's ice cream if you can if you can't her cookbook the grotta isis is the next best option also for all those feeling the cold long winter ahead wherever you are cuisine of the sun should provide a bit of imaginary fun if you're listening on spotify follow if on apple subscribe and leave a review helps other people find the show And follow me on Instagram at a cook's library. Thanks again. Keep cooking and keep eating.